Well, what a solemn offertory this morning. If you, that's all right. If you would take your Bible and open it to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. Um, we were here the last time without lights, air conditioning dissipating, and uh, we only dealt with one phrase of the verse. So here we are with the sound system and the, I think the better part of this verse, the first part. Uh, John, having written here, and for those of you who have not been here with us through this journey, is writings that we might have joy. And I, I think part of what he's doing throughout this letter is he's questioning where do you find your joy? Um, where does it come from? Does it come from your accomplishments? Does it come from your family? Does it come from your morality? Does it come from your religious experience? Does it come from your own righteousness? And, and John would answer to all of those things, well, well, no. The only joy that we can have in a world that lies in the power of the evil one is joy that we find in a relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit of Almighty God. That is the only hope that we have for true and lasting joy. We looked at last time the state of the world in which we live. The world again lies in the power of the evil one. And to have a Christian worldview, we must level with the fact that our greatest problem is that externally, our greatest problem is our sin, but our greatest problem externally is that we live in a world that is spiritually depraved. And I promise you, every other symptom flows downstream from that reality. And Satan wants to wield the spiritual power that he has in this world, and we know that he can't possess us, but that he can oppress us, and he wants to wield his power. Uh, friends, I think that some Christians have a, a, a view of Satan that has been fueled by a caricature of Satan in the culture that he's a little cartoon character and he really doesn't have power, but he does in this world. And he seeks to use it to turn our attention from the joy that we have in our fellowship with God. He wants each one of you, he wants me, uh, and he's very successful at times, to look away from the joy that we can have in Christ and find joy in a horizontal plane in something else. He wants us to root our affections not in our redemption, but in the idols of this world. He wants to discourage and He wants to distract us. We looked at that last time that we were together two weeks ago. Well, we need to look at something that I think is more important still, and that is simply this, who we are as Christians. John says here, we know that everyone has been, excuse me, we know that we are from God. This is something that we must level with. There's one thing that John wants us to remember Dear brother or sister, more than anything else, it's this one reality that we have our being from God. It, ma it matters more than anything else in all of our lives. Our being from God is the source 
from which we start to grow in joy with the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. So if you would do honor to the reading of God's Word, stand this morning as we begin in verse 13. John, writing here again under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God, says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we lack anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know. Beloved, listen to these words. We know that we are from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come into Your presence today knowing how weak we are. And that far too often we read verses like this and we applaud flippantly in our hearts when what we need is for You to engrave these truths on our heart. Not that we would merely applaud them, but that we would live in light of them for Your glory. In Christ's name, Amen. may be seated. Thank you, buddy. I'm going to need that. Don't even go sit down. Been asking me all morning this morning if he could come up here with me when I preach. And I keep telling him, yeah, man. You have to preach the sermon, but you can follow. That's fine. Turkey. So here's the question. What does it mean that we are from God? I've told you before the ek, the out of, uh, the being from is ultimately underwriting in the, the Greek uh, language here. But what does this essential quality of being from God really mean? Does it mean what so many believe uh, Christians are culturally? If you say, I'm a Christian, uh, most people don't have in their minds, oh, you're one from God. That's not what hits their mind first. And I think the reason that that doesn't hit their mind as a first and primary uh, identity for the Christian is for one reason. We We haven't represented ourselves that way. Uh, to our society. So many religionists have painted the Christian faith and to be a Christian is something else. To be a Christian to most people means that we're good or that we're moral people 
Or that we are just better than we at one time in our lives were. We are reforming ourselves and our culture. We're just making things better here in the world that lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, or that we're, we're just religious people. We're people that just go and, and we fill the pews on Sunday morning. And that's what it means to be a Christian. John doesn't write that at all. John knows that you can be good, you can be better, you can be moral, you can be religious and not be a Christian at all. To be a Christian means that you are from God. Nothing less than that. And we dare not add anything to that. So let's look at this question of what it means to be from God in the negative first. And it means that we have been taken out of the power of the evil one. We are no longer, beloved, listen, we are no longer part of the dominion of darkness. We are no longer in the clutches of Satan. And if that doesn't stir your heart, friend, there's nothing that will. The old country people I grew up around would say, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood must be wet. We no longer have as our father, Satan. By God's kindness, He has adopted us into His family. Last time we dealt with the end of this verse. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Why did we do that? Because we must know the kind of background that we come from. We are all born into the world. There is not one Christian who was born a moral, upstanding, good, religious, kind person that really didn't need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were all born neck deep in sin, deserving uh, the wrath of God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are by nature children of wrath. One of the greatest arguments that I face as, as, as a pastor in this generation is that most Christians will say, well, man is basically good, and if you just give him enough time, he'll reform himself, he'll make himself better. The church, with each passing generation, makes the world a, a better place. Friends, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the world lies in the power of the evil one and that every human being ever born starts out in a net deficit being sold under sin and deserving of the wrath of Almighty God. The reason why so many kids and so many people have left the church is because we've painted a picture that if you do enough good things, God will be pleased with you. And no one, there's this loss of an understanding of the grandeur of our salvation and what Christ has done because we're not being honest about the truth of the world around us. We're not being honest about how difficult and dark this world is, how we really are deserving of the wrath of God. David says in Psalm 51 that he was shaped, he was fashioned, he was born into iniquity. He was from the time of his conception, 
a sinner. And so to be taken or to be from God means that we have been taken out of this world. And it's not something we've talked about this at length that if we're going to come to right conclusions about what the apostles were teaching, we should listen not just to one of them, but to what they're saying in unison. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the pres- this present evil age. To take us out of this world spiritually speaking. Jesus died to deliver us from the world. Jesus didn't die to make us a little bit better. Jesus didn't die so we could be proud Baptists. Now we're right about baptism. I believe. Otherwise I'd sprinkle children and, and, and the like. But beloved, the, 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 the core of our identity is that we were neck deep in sin and we have been delivered from that evil world. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. Or take the statement that Paul makes in writing Romans when he says, sin shall not have dominion over you. And the question is why? And the answer is because you are taken out of that dominion of sin. Because you are no longer sold under the control and the power of Satan. You are now able not to sin by the power of the Spirit of Almighty God. Or Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, beloved, you have received mercy. And he says just before that verse, in verse 9, how we got there. And it is this, he has bought, brought us, he says, out of darkness and into the marvelous Light to, to be born again, to be from God, to ek theos means that we have been set free from the power of the evil one in this world. He no longer controls us. But what about in the positive sense? I'm going to zip through these quickly, but we could camp, I think, for an entire week on each one of them. One, Because we no longer belong, we are no longer uh, uh, members of the family of, of Satan, we no longer follow that demonic line, we now rather belong to God. We are His children now, John says. We once were His enemies, but now we have a new relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that relationship doesn't come from a pastor. It doesn't come from a denominational preference. It doesn't come from perfect theology. We belong to Him because His Spirit has sealed us and birthed us anew. That's why we are His And that leads us to this next thing. We are born of God. To be from God means that we have received new life from Him. We are of God in the sense that we are born of God. Partakers, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, partakers of the divine nature. We have received life from God Himself. He has infused His life into our dead souls. We are 
of God by the, the new birth. Not only in the sense, and I think that we think of it rightly, as the, the moment of conversion, we are given new life. We are quickened and made alive. We are, our heart of stone is removed and a heart of flesh is, is put in by the power of the Spirit apart from our will, our desire, our flesh. It's only an act of grace. But that's not where it ends. Beloved, God gives us new life. And it's a continual giving. He gives us new life at our conversion, yes, but then every day of our lives this side of glory, He is constantly giving us power to live the Christian life. Friends, there are so many wrong ideas that we gravitate towards that, 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 that say, well, God kind of converts us and then the rest is up to us. There used to be a magnet on, I think it was one of my grandparents' refrigerators that says, what you are is God's gift to you. What you make of yourself is your gift to God. I mean, if that is really our theology, God's unwrapping some presents continually that by His standard of holiness have got to be somewhat repulsive. What we are is God's gift to us and what we continue to grow into in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is also God's kindness. I'm not saying that we're quietists and that we're pacifists and that we don't uh, exercise ourselves unto godliness. But we have to remember when we hear this phrase that we are from God, it is pregnant with meaning that not only has He borne us into His family and we belong to Him, but because we belong to Him, He goes on every day giving us new life. And that is why we come to this point, that to be from God means that God is the center of our lives. Many people will call themselves Christians. They will say they, will, they love God. But if you listen to the conversation, they really love God for what He can give them, not for who He is. But being genuinely from God born again means that we live our lives in a way where we acknowledge everything that belongs to us is His. And we want to steward it for His glory. We delight in Him. We rejoice in who He is. We rejoice in His works. We're not trying to be more moral or we're not trying to reform ourselves on our own. We are simply seeking to live our lives in light of His glory. Which also means that to be born from God means we are controlled by Him. The, the world lies in the power of the evil one. But we lie, we live under the kind care of a loving Father who has not left us with, hey, you're saved, figure life out. But He has redeemed us and He set His Word before us. And it is like fire. It is where we warm our weary souls. It is where we come time and time again. And we have those moments, I hope you have them often in the Word, where all of a sudden something you've struggled with for years clicks for you. And you experience repentance in that particular area. And you begin to submit your life to Him in new and fascinating ways. And you find that the control of the Heavenly Father that we know is not burdensome, as John would say. But it's joyful. You know, you begin to talk to someone about being a Christian and, 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 and presenting the Gospel. And I find that quite often... Uh, what people inherently believe is that what you're asking them to do is just to give up a bunch of fun things in life. 
And what we're really asking people, and we're not asking them to do it, we, de- we desire that God would birth people anew into salvation. But part of what we know is the reality of that Christian life is we're not giving anything up but the grave and all of the dead and dying things of this world. And what we get is not a, 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 a tyrannical father who puts harsh things and, and loads us down with just rules and, and, and tells us we're constantly a disappointment. We have a father who has given his only begotten son. And as we continue to grow in Christ likeness, we find that what he calls us to is not burdensome. It's not, it, it's, it's not a, a, a grievous, but it is a joy. It's interesting how John starts by saying that he's writing for our joy and then as he puts down all of those imperatives, there's a whole class of people that would look at those things and say, oh, that's awful. It's not awful at all if you're actually born born again because part of living the Christian life, living under His control and His uh, care is that we rejoice in the things that He calls us to. Now, they can be difficult, the tasks in and of themselves, and Fighting temptation and all of those things uh, can strain us for sure. But where we find the sweetness is when we really rest in Christ, knowing that ultimately the work is His. We also see that our minds have been renewed if we are from God. Paul deals with the reality of why people don't believe as he writes his second letter to the church at Corinth. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Why is it that people don't believe? Is it because the preacher preaches too long? Is it because we're not enough this or enough that? Is it because we don't have smoke and lights and and all of the modern things in our church service? Is that why people don't believe? Paul would say, where did you get that from? He would say, you can crank up the music, you can crank up the smoke, and many pastors do in more than one way, Um, and that will not ultimately bring people to salvation. The only way that anyone in this room ever came to salvation was when God in His mercy removed the veil from our minds and all of a sudden we acknowledged who the living God was and we saw Christ in all of His majesty and His glory and we turned from our sin. All of the garbage that this world peddles was not good enough for us anymore and we ran to Christ in faith and repentance. And that was done by the Spirit of Almighty God. Not by us. Friends, one of the things that that is so interesting as you continue to grow in your theological understanding and you continue to walk the Christian life is realizing that where we grow, it's all of grace. And we can work ourselves so diligently, but if the, if the Spirit of God is not at work in converting people and in sanctifying them, nothing we do matters. It's why I believe that Praying for our neighbors, praying for our family members is the most important spiritual exercise. Begging God to wake our nation up to its folly and rebellion and that it needs repentance and faith. We must cry out to God and ask Him to do the work of renewing the minds of people both inside the body and outside. To be born from God means that we have our minds renewed. It also means that we live for Him. Our lives we desired, and this is similar to being controlled by Him, we want them to bear witness of God. That we are different from this world. And isn't that kind of antithetical to most modern Christian thought? We need to be like the world so that we can win the world. 
John doesn't write anything in that direction. I mean, not even a whisper is found to be like the world. Verse 19 is the nail in the coffin to the, the, the kind of relevant relativism that, that we hear so often. Rather, we should seek to diligently walk with the Lord in holiness that the world would understand what a Christian really is. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with God, and friends, don't think that what I'm talking about is what kind of jeans you wear, if you wear a tie or a bow tie, you know, <clears throat> any of that stuff. It's not externals. It's that God has redeemed us and, and birthed us anew, and our lives have a different trajectory, a, a different tone and tenor because of our relationship to Him. And, and here John tells us, if we say that we walk with the Lord while actually walking in a world that is in the power of the evil one, we lie. We've learned, and this is less vague, verse, verse 6 is less vague because of the months that we have spent in 1 John now because we know that really there are four categories, don't we? That John has been cyclically dealing with. One, that, that if walking in the light really means to love God, to love His church, to love the truth, to love theology, something we all need to grow in, and to guard His commandments. That's what it means to walk and to live a life that brings glory to Him. Another way of putting that is that we are to live lives filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. You'll remember from Paul's writing in Galatians, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And none of those things are something we do. They're all the outworking of what the Spirit does in our lives. Or we could ask St. Augustine, what is the chief mark of a Christian? And his answer would be, well, the first, the second... And the third mark of a true, regenerate Christian is a life of humility. Nothing stands out more gloriously of walking with Christ than that, than, that in His life, the Lord Himself demonstrated what true humility looked like. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read that when he was reviled, he reviled not. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges rightly. Jesus lived a life showing what it means to demonstrate the goodness and the glory of God to a lost and dying world. And here's the reality to all of our friends that think to live the Christian life means to be buddies with the world. Jesus didn't live that way. Now he trafficked in the he couldn't find anyone but sinners when he got down here. We're all wretched and depraved. That's all that there was. But he lived a life that is distinct from the rest of the world. I remember as a teenager walking out of some of my own personal sin and some of the struggles. Uh, in sanctification early on. And I remember distinctly uh, uh, the, the thing that was the greatest encouragement to a young man battling sin in, in my own life was that I constantly found the life of Christ beautiful. 
He's glorious. He's wonderful. He's something completely other than anyone I've ever met. Even uh, uh, the best of my friends don't compare with this man, with our Savior. So we walk in a way that brings glory to God. To be from God also means that we are destined for God. We are on our way back to Him. We long to be in His presence. We have His name written on our hearts. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world belongs to Him. My sister came and visited this week, and as we were getting ready to leave, uh, she got to experience Friday and Saturday where Jay can be physically present with his family, but is mentally checked out because I'm writing the sermon 24-7. Um, and as we were getting ready to take her to the airport, she's like, Bud, you are distracted. And she was right. And as I was packing her bag and, and, and putting it on the, the uh, curb so that she could go get on her flight, I thought, man, this is, this is so analogous to the, the world and what we're dealing with in First in John. And that is that everything that, that ultimately is corrupted and decaying and dying, it all belongs to Satan. I mean, pack it up and take it with him. But we have the joy of knowing that our Savior is going to return. And with Him, He's not bringing all of the junk of this world. One of the things that I hear from Christians, and I, I don't want to overly spiritualize and speak too boldly here where Scripture doesn't, but because uh, God's creation is good, but I think sometimes when we talk in terms of heaven, all I hear from Christians is all of the stuff of this life that they like the most, they envision heaven to be that way. Yeah, Satan has this whole world packed up and it's going somewhere. When Jesus comes back, He's unfolding His glory. Amen. And we will rejoice in that. We will. Oh, one of my favorite stories of R.C. Sproul, he talks about having a dream. And he says that he gets to heaven and it's a dream, if I remember correctly, with his father. And as he makes his way into heaven, he asks his dad, show me. Take me to see the glory of God. And his dad says, R.C., it's everywhere. The glory of God will radiate our existence in eternity. We are headed back to Him. And there is, uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said that when we find that there is nothing in this world that satisfies our longing, the only plausible answer is that we must be destined for another world altogether. And that is so true. And that world ruled by God Himself. People ask me political questions all the time. What do you think the best form of, of leadership is? And mine is God ruling and reigning for all of eternity. And until then, we're going to have to put up with a lot of nonsense in any direction. So we are on our way back to God by His grace. And that is a reality that we should all rejoice in. Some come to this statement of John's. And he says, we know that we are from God. And they hear in it some kind of arrogance that, that, that John is saying boastfully and proudly, we are from God. Look at us. And anyone that comes to understand the first phrase in verse 19 that way, I think needs... A literary course, maybe? 
to understand the context because there's no way you can take it that way. Jesus didn't save us because of our morality, our diligence, our religious choices, our decisions, our denominations. Jesus, one of the things that I'm more convinced of the further I go in life is this, that our salvation has to be in spite of everything that we are. Has to be. Because everything we do is tainted with sin. What we are from God as our chief identity is by grace alone. Friends, the only way to understand this statement of John coming to us and saying, Beloved, in a world that lies in the power of the evil one, we know that we are from God. We know that we belong to Him. We know we're controlled by Him. We know we've been birthed anew by Him. We know that we belong to Him and we no longer belong to Satan. Friends, the only way to understand that reality is in a position and a posture of absolute wonder. To be filled with wonder is to come to something and to look at it and for it to be an inexplicable thing. We can't explain it. We we can't explain why it is that we have been chosen of God and are born from God. One of the old hymns that used to be sung was uh, the chorus was, Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the blessings that I've known? And, and the reality in light of that song is that there's nothing in us. We are of God is not a statement of, 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 of pride. It's a statement in context. Looking at the fallen world. Look at this world. The world that is in the power of the evil one. And yet God miraculously and gloriously has saved us apart of, from anything in us. I think what John is saying here, we are from God, really resonates with Paul's statement in Corinthians, but, uh, but by, gra- Sorry. by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul understood that there was nothing in and of himself that elicited the blessing of God apart from God's grace. It was only because of God's grace that Paul was what he was. And we could also say it in the colloquial phrase there, but the but there, golly guys, there but for the grace of God go I. The reason that we are from God is inscrutable to us. We can't know. I don't know why God has saved me other than it is for his glory. And to save a rotten sinner like me has to display a lot of glory and a lot of grace. I hope you feel that way too. It's not a statement that is prideful. It's a statement where we constantly come back to, friend, if you are genuinely saved. I've heard so many people who claim to be Christians and when they talk about their conversion, it's saturated with pride and everything they've done. And what they're declaring to a lost and dying world is look at me. Look at how great I am. But friends, those who are truly born again come to their salvation and it's inexplainable even to them. It is beyond comprehension that God would save any one of us. 
There are people that get angry when you talk about election and they say, well, why is it that God doesn't save everyone? If He's the one that saves, why doesn't He save everyone? The real question is, why would He save any one of us? Why? Why would we ever come arrogantly and it shows the depth of our sinful, prideful, depraved hearts to come before a holy God who justly could pour His wrath out upon us, but instead has given us mercy and we say, why not more? So what then should our view be of the people in the world around us? If we are filled with wonder that God has saved us, then my argument this morning is this. We will also be people who are filled with compassion to those around us. Uh, We will reckon with the reality that we know this world will be judged. We know that evil will not stand in the presence of a holy God. And we know then that people who are still dead in their trespasses and sins, who are in the dominion of Satan, need to be delivered. And we know something all too glorious in light of those truths, and that is this, that God Himself can redeem anyone that He so chooses. And until their dying breath, we never give up hope. And so we continue over and over and over again to declare and proclaim the Gospel. We know that He... He has called His church to be the means of proclaiming the Gospel as He Himself builds the church. And as we look out at the desperate and dangerous position of those who are not in Christ, we shouldn't have indifference. We shouldn't be scornful and angry and have a lot of contempt. We should merely speak the Gospel. We should level the reality that this world is in the power of the evil one because of the sin of man. Because we disobeyed God. God in His kindness at the proper time sent His only begotten Son that whoever would turn in repentance and faith would have eternal life. That that whoever is born anew to turn and to believe and trust in Christ and Christ alone, that they would be saved. That is the glory of the Gospel and it should be our refrain. So our time that is left in this world should be time that is peppered with wonder and with compassion for those who are outside of the kingdom. I can remember as a young Christian thinking about people in my sphere of influence. What in the world is wrong with these people? Why don't they just turn and believe? They need to get their act together. Then as God opened my eyes to the reality that I hadn't brought myself to salvation, but that He had done it. That there's a veil that lies over the minds of those who are unbelieving. Brothers and sisters, it'll change your heart towards the lost and dying world around you. You no longer are the moralist showing up on Sunday morning in all of your religious splendor for the world to see. You know the kind of person that we've all been at some point in our Christian walk. But rather, we look around us and we see the reality that Satan still breathes out his blasphemous lies. And we have the joy of growing in the knowledge of the truth so that we can speak the truth to our neighbor, that we can pray diligently, and that with wonder we can behold afresh and anew the compassion of God in saving sinners for His glory by His grace alone.
People ask me all the time, what difference does it make if we are the ones who decide to become saved or if it's really God doing it? Eternity will answer that question. And sadly for many, they will find that they were religiously deceived and never born again. Beloved, true compassion doesn't stop short just relying on a religious outward profession. True compassion for our neighbor goes deeper and will experience all kinds of slander and pains that we would rest in Christ for who He is and what He's actually done. You see, the reality is as we live in this world, as we continue to make our way back to God, being from God, there's this twofold process that happens in light of our wonder and our compassion, and that is we will work diligently and we will constantly be repenting or receiving the cleansing from being at work in the world. It's a messy business to carry the Gospel. If you look throughout church history, you will find that the martyrs and that the church fathers had to work diligently and suffer greatly. People, I think at times, why is the church so weak in our, our day? And sometimes, I just wonder if it's not because we've grown so lazy. Because if we really are, if we really have experienced the wonder of our salvation and we really do have compassion on our neighbor, it will inevitably lead to our working amongst sinners. It's what James says in James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Do you see the dualistic reality? That to go among those who are desperate and who are oppressed by Satan. That is part of our responsibility. We will work in light of the wonder we have of our salvation and our compassion for those. But we also will have this goal of keeping ourselves unstained from the world. You'll notice that that's kind of a refrain from what Jude writes in verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We are called to minister to others in light of being born from God. And we must not let that work lead us to forget who we are, where we came from, and ultimately that is from God. And at times, friends, as we begin to carry the Gospel out, as we are immersed in wonder of the statement that we are from God, we'll mess it up. We'll sin. We'll fall short of the glory of God. And that should make us all the more thankful for what John writes in the first chapter of this letter. That if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. What a joy that is. This most importantly. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, I believe in my own life, I can't answer for you in light of the salvation that I've been given, in light of these words, we know that we are from God. The greatest sin that I've ever perpetrated is not walking in wonder and in compassion. Would you pray for me? Pray with me and for me. Father God, we come before you today so thankful for your grace, 
So thankful to know that our salvation isn't something we've worked for. It's not something we've earned. It's not something that we are trying to keep in our own strength, but it's something totally from You. By grace alone we have been saved. Father, might we rejoice in that reality. And might we speak of the Gospel with boldness, constantly yearning to see Your compassion poured out on sinners. Father, as You do Your work of building Your church, we will stand in awe of all You do by grace. In Christ's name, Amen. A little food for thought based on something that Jay said Uh during the sermon made me think about Calvin's words that true and sound wisdom consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. Something that just got me thinking in what he said was um, the contrast between the statements in the Old Testament of God saying, I am that I am. The contrast between that and Paul's statement of I am what I am. Food for thought. Just think about that later. Now, if you would stand, let's sing Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross, a precious fire. 